0: All right. Well, this morning, we're taking a break from our study in the book of Genesis, and we're going to be entering into a very special three-week series, one that I've been looking forward to for months now, um, entitled Vision 2020 and Beyond. I don't know if you know this or not, but a few weeks ago, we started a brand new year, didn't we? <laughs> and on top of that, it was the beginning of a brand new decade. Until, so, as elders and as the church staff, we began thinking about this time of year. And we thought, you know, this is going to be a great opportunity for us to take a step back and to do what we've done often during this season of the year and to say, Lord, what is it that you have for us? What is it that you want for us as a church, as as your people? Where are you leading us? Where are you guiding us? And so Vision 2020 and beyond is, is really simple. Here's the purpose of the next three weeks. Are you ready for this? It's simple. To present God's plan for his people and our place in his plan. All right, let me break that down. The, the purpose of this time is to study and look at God's word together and see, God, what is your plan for your people? And then what's our place in that plan? Like, like, how do we come alongside you in all of this? What role do you have us to play? I, if I could be so bold um, as to say, these next three weeks are going to be foundational for us to understand what it is that we as Valley Center Community Church are supposed to be about, not just this year, but next year and every year that that follows. Um, we have a very simple mission as a church. It's at the end of your notes. I was gonna I was gonna end there, but I actually want to begin there and then and wrap up there at the very end. Our mission as a church is really simple. To glorify God by being and making disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's been our mission for a long time now. It's something that we believe that God calls us to. And in fact, if I can again be so bold, is I believe that this is God's calling upon all churches and all believers. We exist to glorify God, to make much of him, by being, that is living as and making, that is, leading others to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. It's why we exist. Now, the rest of my message is for the purpose of getting us to buy into that, to understand that and to see that so, so clearly. Now, because this is our mission, we have a really clear vision. When we talk about vision 2020 and beyond, we talk about, Lord, what are are you calling us to now and and into the future? And and here's our, our vision. It's to see the people of Valley Center and beyond transformed into disciples of Jesus Christ through the people of Valley Center Community Church. Do do you hear me on that? Like, we believe that if our mission is to be and make disciples, then we should look out at our world and we should say, here's the vision. We want to see people all around us transformed into disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's going to happen through us. Not just through this guy up here preaching, but that every single one of us is part of that mission and engaged in that vision. And, and so something that's going to happen in my message today is you're going to hear me refer to the church every so often. And I want you to do me a favor if you can. Every time you hear me say church, there can be a disconnect. You can hear me say church and you think either about a building or you just think about the congregation as a whole. When I say church, I want you to think of people and I want, to think you, I want you to think of yourself in that. So when I say church, just don't think of this, this um, faceless um, sort of entity. I want you to, when I say church, that you're thinking, oh, he's talking about me and he's talking about the person sitting next to me, real people. And so this is what we're going to engage in over the next few weeks. And so my hope is when it's all said and done, we will have a clear picture of who our God is, what he desires for us, and what we should expect of one another in the plan and the mission that God has for his church. And that, that's my goal. And if we're not clear on those three things, then I won't have done my job, okay? And so my hope is that God would lead us into that. So are you, are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? Do you, do you want what God wants for you? Let me try that one more time. Do you want what God wants for you? All right. Well, there you go. Because if you don't, there's an exit there and there's an exit there. Okay? Nobody's taking me up on it yet. I just want one. No, don't. Please don't. I've only actually had one person ever get up and walk out on me, but that's a story for a different time. All right. Open up to Psalm 19. That's where we're going to start this journey. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1, Psalm 19. We're going to be looking at our foundations for the next number of minutes. All of this is going to build. So I want you to bear with me as we do it. Psalm one or Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, in the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Now, what are those words doing? They're, they're glorifying God. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. All right, what's happening here? This is one of those really poetic psalms. And you're like, well, Dave, all the psalms are poems. Yeah, I know. But there are some that just, they convey certain imagery that's really beautiful and we can get lost in it. But the purpose of this imagery is to communicate a very simple yet profound point. Are you ready for this? Here's the first thing that we got to see in all of this. Verse one says, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. There is a refrain that you will hear over and over throughout the scriptures. The refrain is very simple. There is a God who made all things, and the God who made all things made all things for his glory. That's what Psalm 19 is telling us. There is a God who exists, and what he made, he made for his glory. Now, what does that mean? Because that's lost on us that the heavens declare the glory of God, that everything was made for his glory. What that means is very, very simply this. When you and I look at the creation, we're to look at the creation and recognize that there is a God who made those things. A dear sister in the Lord told me this week, she said, I like to think about it in this way. When you look at a masterpiece, a masterpiece of art, you recognize that that masterpiece of art was created by a master painter. And so master painters paint masterpieces to show you and to show me that they are master painters. Did that make sense? Master painters paint masterpieces to show that they are master painters. God created the universe and all that's in it to show us that there is no one like him who can do those things. And because he created those things, he alone is worthy of our praise and our worship. And then in a very unique way, God creates you and me as part of his creation. And in creating us as part of his creation, he doesn't give us a a separate task from the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens and everything else. Isaiah 43 tells us, then verse 7, that God formed and created us for his glory as well. So here's where we come to our first foundational truth everything, including humanity, was made to display God's glory. Mark this down, etch this in your brain. This is going to be foundational for everything that comes afterwards. In fact, if you don't get this, you're ultimately not going to understand your purpose in the world and you're not going to understand why Jesus Christ died on the cross. But I'm getting ahead of myself as far as that's concerned. Here's what we need to see. Everything, including humanity, was made to display God's glory. But you and I, are a different part of creation. We've been looking at the book of Genesis. We've been talking about the fact that humanity, out of everything in creation, was made in the image of God. There's a uniqueness to you and to me from the flowers, from the animals. It's that you and I were made to reflect God's glory, that you and I were made to be mirrors of God in the world, Does that sound familiar? We've been talking about that, right? And you're like, Dave, here we go again. I'm like, yeah, yeah, bear with me here. Because no sooner do I say that than I say something that is immensely profound. You see, in understanding that everything, including humanity, was made to display God's glory, and in understanding that you and I were made to reflect God's image in the world, we come to this point. The purpose of your life is, the purpose of my life is to make much of God to live for him. This is the end for which humanity was created. You don't have to guess at it. You don't need some philosopher to give you the answer. God comes to us in his word and says, here's your purpose as a human being to worship, magnify, and to reflect my manifold perfections in the world, that's the purpose of your life. I made humanity for that end and that end alone. So many people struggle with their existence and why they're here. My friends, I just gave you the answer. And it's not my answer, it's God's. He has made us so that we would live for him and to make much of him so that when the creation looks at us, they say, there is a God who makes masterpieces, and this is what he would look like if he were here. I want to use an illustration that might help you understand the concept of what it means to be an image bearer of God and to live for him and not for ourselves. Here's the illustration. We are moons, m o. O-N, we are moons, we are not suns, S-U-N. I don't know what theologian said at first, but I think it's huge. Do you know what the difference is between a moon and a sun? A sun projects light, a moon does what? Reflects light. A moon has no source of light within itself, but it illuminates and is illuminated by the light of the sun, and, and when the moon reflects the light of the sun, you look at the moon and you say, my goodness, how bright, how majestic, how powerful, how awesome must the sun be that when it shines upon this body, it actually throws light off. See, you and I were made to be moons, not suns. We were made to make much of God, to reflect all of his attributes and his manifold perfections in the world. The problem is we try to live as sons. We try and think that that we're the point of all of this. We don't live for him. We live for ourselves. Our design is to reflect the glory of God and not to take it for ourselves. Not to use the creation for our own ends, but to use the creation as a way to make much of Him. This past week, I was working on a project in my house, and I had to uh, nail a nail onto a, uh, a stud in my garage. And so there's a very specific tool whose purpose exists to do just that. It's this guy right here. I love this hammer, it helped me build my house. And so this hammer is designed for one purpose. It's to drive nails into the wood. And so, of course, knowing that I had to nail a nail into the stud, I, I went and I grabbed my hammer because that's its purpose. That's its design. And it did its job effectively. It wasn't this piece of wood, by the way. It's a different one, right? Otherwise, my house would be falling down because I took a stud out of it. No. so, so, so it's, Now, I have other things in my house, other, other tools other things that have a purpose and have a design. But but I didn't use those things to nail the nail. See, see for instance, in, in, in my house, I have a light bulb, right? You guys have light bulbs in your house. They, they have a great purpose. What do they do? Light bulbs, they illuminate things, right? But but you don't take a light bulb and try to nail a nail, do you? Because if you took a light bulb and tried to nail a nail, what's going to happen to the light bulb? It, it's it's going to shatter your life in my life was designed to make much of God. That's its purpose. Now it becomes patently obvious to you and to me that if we try and use a light bulb for a purpose other than what it was designed for, i.e. trying to drive a nail in, something's going to happen, right? And then your light bulb ends up looking like this. And, and as you look at this light bulb, you think, well, it's, it can't function anymore. And you're right, it can't. Friends, this is what humanity has done with our lives. Designed to live for the glory of God, we have failed to do that because we have chosen, well, we've demonstrated it in two ways. We have failed to obey what God calls us to, and we have chosen to live for the creation rather than the creator. And when we gave up our purpose in that way, this is the problem with humanity. There's a lot of things that people say is the problem with humanity. The problem, though, is is that humanity no longer lives for God but lives for itself. And the Bible speaks very clearly that because we gave up our purpose and chose to live for ourselves rather than for him, well, here's the second foundational thing, and it's not a happy one. Humanity's rebellion against God brings God's judgment and keeps us from fulfilling our purpose. (laughs) turning away from God as as humanity has, living for ourselves and not for him. We come under the judgment of God and we are now bound by sin's power in our lives so we cannot live for the purpose for which we were created. And I have people sometimes come and say, you know what, I don't like the idea of God judging us and punishing us for disobeying him. But, but, But here's the thing, if you went home today and you discovered that somebody had taken your personal banking information, and you went to check on your bank accounts, and you saw that all the money in your checking and all the money in your savings had been taken out, you would say, somebody's robbed me. Somebody has stolen from me. Somebody's taken what belongs to me. And the first thing that you'd want to have happen is to get that money back. And if the perpetrator was caught, you'd want them to pay you back, right? Because they owe you the money. The second thing that you'd want is you'd want them to be punished and judged because you don't want them to do that to somebody else. The Bible says that when we live for ourselves and not for him, do you know what it says that we've done? We've robbed God of his glory. We've taken what belongs to him. And so God says, That has to be punished. That has to be judged. And part of that judgment means now not only are we separated from God, but we are incapable of living the life that we were designed to live. And this is catastrophic for humanity. But here's the thing. The story doesn't end there. You you most likely know this. This is something then that should cause us to fall on our knees and worship God. God chose not to forsake or reject humanity and the rest of his creation, but it has a way to display even more of his glory to show off more of himself. God sent Jesus Christ into the world to save humanity and restore us as image bearers of God. God comes and he looks at what we've done, rebelling against him. And rather than leaving us under his judgment and incapable of fulfilling the purpose for which we were made, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to enter into our world in order to save us and to restore us as image bearers. That verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't end there goes on, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I've been a Christian most of my life. I grew up in the church. And I heard that verse that, that, well, Jesus Christ came to save me. And I'll be honest, I hear that and I think, oh, he came to save me from the judgment of hell. He came to save me so that I would be spared God's wrath and judgment, which is true. But if Jesus just saved me from that, then I wouldn't be fully saved and I wouldn't be entering into everlasting life. You see, because there's more to the story than just being saved from the judgment of hell. See, this morning, I want to ask you a very simple question. Don't answer it out loud, but I want you to think about it for a minute. The question is very simply this. Why did Jesus die for you? If little Susie or little Johnny came up to you and they said, why did Jesus die for me? Why did Jesus die at all? How would you answer that question? Think about it for just a second. Consider this. This is going to be huge. See, the answer that most people give to this, most Christians give to this, is something along the lines of, well, he died for me to save me, From the penalty of sin. He died to save me so that I won't go to hell. He died to save me and make me a child of God. He died because he loves me. Have you heard those answers before? I've said those answers. Those answers in and of themselves aren't necessarily wrong. All of those things are true. But they are not the final end for which Christ died. You see, most of us believe that Christianity ends with that. Jesus died to save me from hell, to forgive my sins, to make me a child of God, and because he loves me. Those things were all necessary and are all a result of the death of Jesus Christ, but that is not the end for which he died for you. Are you ready to know the answer to that question? I, no, I mean, really, really. Like, don't, don't tell me. Are, do you want to know? Because it's actually been in the Bible the whole time. But I think most of our Christianity stops short of this. We only get half of the truth. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 these words. And he died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Did you know that was in the Bible? That that part of God's word exists. And this verse only makes sense if you and I realize that everything that God made was made to glorify him, to make much of him. Paul is saying to you, and he's saying to me as clearly as he can, don't you see, Christ died so that you might have a life, but not just any life. He died so that you might have a life once again where you no longer live for yourself, but for God. If Christ does not save you, You keep living for yourself. He died so that you could get back to what you were made to do from the beginning, to live for God. This is what an image bearer does. God didn't change his plans and his purposes when humanity sinned and rebelled against him. The whole thrust of human history is God seeking to restore us to the place where we were made to be from the beginning, image bearers of him. To live not for ourselves, to once again be moons and not think of ourselves as sons, to reflect his glory. Yet the reality is that many times when we think about Christ and what he did, we stop short of that verse and we say, he died for my sins, he saved me from the punishment of hell, he made me a son of God, he died because he loves me, Yes, 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 and amen. But he did all of those things. All of those things were necessary to make it possible for you to now no longer live for you, but for him. This is the point of humanity from the beginning. And see, if you only, if you only take those truths If you only have half of the truths to work with, listen to me as clearly as I can say this, you have a half-hearted Christianity. Because if it's only about Jesus forgiving you, if it's only about Jesus saving you from hell, if it's only about him making you part of his family, then what you find yourself is saying, oh, look at me, look at what he's done for me, everything's good with the world. And then you stop short. You don't see a purpose in your life. And he says, no, there is an absolute purpose, an end for which he did all of these things so that you wouldn't live for yourself, but you'd live for him. And just just in case you think like, Dave, you're just picking on one verse here. Oh, there's more. (laughs) 1 Peter chapter two, you've heard me quote this verse. This has been one of my passions. 1 Peter chapter two, it's so clear. Listen to what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Whose possession are we now? God's. Why? Then he says it. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's the same thing that Paul said. You were saved not to make it about yourself anymore, You were saved so that you'd make it about him. And then there's this amazing verse in 1 Corinthians chapter six. Look at this verse with me. Verses 19 and 20. Paul says, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. So go, live however you want and enjoy the life you have. Is that what it says? So glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price so that you would no longer live for yourself but for him. It's why Paul would then later write, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. Jesus came into the world for the purpose of saving and redeeming humanity so that we would be restored to what we were to be from the beginning. That my life in your life can once again be made about making much of him. This is, this is the point. This is the thrust. This is why we come and say the mission of our church, the mission of all Christians' lives is to live as disciples of Jesus Christ and that we glorify God as we, we do this. But, but here's the truth though. This is the final foundational point. Not everybody gets in on this. Not everybody gets to be restored to an image bearer of God. Like the work of Jesus Christ doesn't just automatically get applied to everybody. The scriptures are very clear. Those who repent and believe upon the work of Jesus are saved from judgment, brought into the family of God, and enabled to live for God. Listen, you want to have your purpose in life You want to experience the life that God has designed you to have? It's only in and through Jesus Christ that it's possible. But you must repent of the fact that you live for yourself and must believe upon the work of Christ. Then you are saved from judgment. You are brought into the family of God all for the purpose of being enabled now to live for God and not for yourself. The life you were made to have can only be found now in and through Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus into the world to deal with the penalty and power of sin so that we can now live as we were created to live. I said at the outset, if you don't understand that everything God created, including humanity, was created for his glory to make much of him, you'll never understand why Jesus Christ died. His whole purpose in dying isn't just to pay for the penalty of sin and to help you conquer the power of sin in your life. All of those things were done so that we could now glorify God with our bodies. To be restored to what we were made to be. And so then, then church family, it makes complete sense. While after Jesus died and rose from the dead. The very last words he speaks to his disciples in Matthew 28 are the words, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. I didn't just do everything that I did for no reason. I did everything that I did so that once again, The world would be filled with those who understand that there is a master creator. He created us so that we would live lives for his glory. And I die the death you should have died. And I live the life you should have lived so that now you can be restored back to that God and you can live for him. It's why the mission of our church today, tomorrow, and for the next 100 years or until Christ comes back is to be and make disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ because it's only through him that you and I can have the life that we were intended to have from the beginning. But it's not just a life that I take and live for myself. It's a life that I take and I say, now, now I understand that whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, is it, is it to make much of God or is it to make much of me? See, there's a really simple question for us to consider today. As you hear all of this, evaluate yourself. Ask yourself the question, are you living out God's mission? Is your life a reflection that because of what Jesus Christ did for you, you are now seeking to make much of him? Or have you received everything that Christ has done for you and your life shows no difference? Because if Christ came to die to set you free from sin's power and from sin's penalty, That life that you have is no longer your own. It belongs to God to make much of him. And I'm here to tell you that there is no greater joy that can be experienced by you than the joy of knowing that I'm walking according to the purpose for which I have been created. That the light bulb isn't being used to drive in the nail, but but that but that the right purpose for my life is is being taken care of so that I'm not not like this. This isn't who I am anymore. I'm I'm living the life that God has for me. I'm, I'm not broken. I'm not destroyed. Instead, I'm able to shine the light of Christ to those around me. The purpose of Vision 2020 and beyond is so that every person would be clear on God's plan and purpose for his people and to see where we fit in that plan. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna look in more detail, well, what does it actually mean? What does it mean to be and make disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ? We've come to summarize it with four words. If you wanna know, am I living for God or am I living for myself? There are four words that we believe help to describe, uh, or I should say, are, are helpful in evaluating Am I living the life that God has for me as a follower of Jesus Christ or not? Those four words are first this, we gather, we gather, we gather for corporate worship. People who believe in Jesus Christ as their savior, who believe that he has restored them back to God and the purpose for which they were created, they gather, the Bible says, to make much of him. It's just a fact of the way God has made us. We are called to be worshipers of God in this time when the saints gather, is this corporate gathering where together we're proclaiming there is one God who deserves all of our praise. And so we take of our time and we take of our resources and we gather to make much of him, to set him apart a day of the week so that our lives proclaim that there is nothing more important than him. But it's not just that we gather, we grow. We grow through grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the application of his word in our lives. We gather, but we also grow. If I'm made to be an image bearer of God, I don't know about you, but that doesn't come naturally. (laughs) I need to know what it means and how in every area of my life, I have to continue to grow in understanding how Jesus Christ transforms me and how I can bear his image in the world. And so we're never contented. If we truly believe we've been made, to reflect him in the world, to stay where we're at. But we grow. And we don't just simply grow, we give. I love what one man said, Forgiving, forgiven people are giving people. Forgiven people are giving people. We are people who have received a purpose and a meaning in our lives through the work of Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? We give. We give of our time, we give of our talents, we give of our treasures to make much of God. Why? because it's all his to begin with. If the word of God is true and he died so that all who live no longer live for themselves, here's my question. Does our finances, our time, and our talents reflect that we believe that to be true? Or is my first and primary concern every single day how my time, how my treasures, and how my talents are going to be used for me? That doesn't sound like somebody who's been saved and redeemed to make much of God. And so we're going to grow in this. We're going to gather. We're going to grow. We're going to give because that's what it looks like to be and make disciples. And then the last one should be obvious to us. We go. We go. We don't keep this news to ourselves, but we go into the world in our spheres of influence and we proclaim the gospel. We want others to see their lives transformed because I'm telling you, your friends and your neighbors, apart from Jesus Christ, I mean this in all love. Like, this is hard for me to say, but their lives are meaningless. They're purposeless and they're rudderless. I'm not saying that they don't have worth and they don't have value. That's not what I said. If you're not living for God and you're living for yourself, then you're not living for the purpose for which you were created. I don't want that for my neighbors. I don't want that for my friends. I don't want that for my children. And so we go and we say there is a way. There is a way to truth and to life, and his name is Jesus Christ. This church family is foundational for everything that we seek to do here at the church. If you want to know what we're going to be about what we're going to call one another to, what we're going to encourage one another in, and what we're going to celebrate, it's going to be this. My prayer for us is that over the next few weeks, we so take this to heart that it continues to be the transforming message that motivates and drives everything that we do for the year 2020 and beyond. Because this is God's design for his people. Let's pray together. Lord, you're King of kings, you're Lord of lords, and everything that we have been talking about today has been intended to cement that truth. And so, Lord, I don't know where we're all at this morning. I don't know where our hearts are in response to these things. For some of us, it might be the first time that that we're really embracing this. I know even in my own heart and mind, just, Lord, wrestling through that reality that, yes, you save me from hell. Yes, you forgive my sins. Yes, you make me part of your family. But, Lord, all of that is intended... Is intended so that now I can live the life that you've called me to live for yourself. Oh, Lord, may my heart embrace this truth, live in this truth, Lord. May it be true of every single person, Lord, in in this room. And then, Lord, maybe with great passion and with a great fervor, Lord, take this to the world around us, reflecting lives of the God who has saved us. And so it's in and through the name of Jesus Christ that we pray and we ask these things.